and welcome to the Beef Edge, the Chagas Beef Podcast, for all your latest news, information and advice for Irish beef farmers. I'm Catherine Egan, and this is the first episode in a two-part series podcast on planning in preparation for weaning. I'm joined by vet Charles Chabat, area veterinary manager with Soetis, to discuss how to prevent pneumonia. I first ask Charles, what actually causes pneumonia in weanlings? Well, it's multifactorial, Catherine, and the issues we have are, you know, there, there, there are certain uh, pathogens that will actually cause a problem. So there are certain bugs that will cause a problem. So in particular, in weanlings, we'd have to be looking at uh, lungworm because they've been at grass and then they're coming into sheds. We've got to look at the viruses that can be there. And there's also bacteria. So all of these can cause pneumonia in their own right. But it's more how the whole thing interacts. So you will get, um, and some farms will have all of these challenges and yet they won't get outbreaks of pneumonias. And whereas other places um, have lots of problems with pneumonia. And you then got to ask the question, well, what's the difference? Well, the difference is a lot of it's down to management um, and the environment we keep them in. Um, and as you and others have heard me talking about my three-legged stool. So, you know, I talk about, you can stand on a three-legged stool um, and you can stand all day as long as all three legs are sound. And this is the same thing about pneumonia management. There are three things you need to be conscious of. And the first one is about management and about weaning and how the weaning is process is taken care of. And we need to keep that as stress-free as possible. The second thing we need to be worried about is the environment that we keep um, the weanlings in. So I'm talking about shed design, which needs to have plenty of fresh air but no drafts is really important and it needs to be dry. So that's another area that needs to be watched. And then we need to worry about the bugs. And as I say, particularly, we need to be concerned about uh, lungworm, who's, and this is the reason why we'd be advising people to make sure that they use a persistent dose before the animals are housed. So you kill off the lungworm, but you also give a chance for the lungs to heal while they're outside in clean, fresh air, rather than them before they get into the challenging environment of, of a shed. And then the final um, part of that is, is really the viruses. <clears throat> and the viruses, unfortunately, can attack the, um, the animal's um, uh, respiratory system and can damage cells within the, the, the trachea, the, the, the windpipe, and down deep inside the lungs. And this will not only cause disease in its own right in the sense that it'll actually damage the cells and therefore let pneumonia become established, but it also opens the door for many bacteria that actually a lot of healthy animals carry. But once the door is opened, these uh, bacteria now start causing uh, disease. And that's the reason why frequently when you call your practitioner, your veterinary practitioner out, he's treating with antibiotics because he's treating these secondary bacterial invasions and, 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 and he's treating them with antibiotics to clear them up quickly because they're the ones which will finally push the animal over the edge and could lead to death, but certainly leads to huge um, uh, production losses. So it's multifactorial is, is the answer. It isn't one thing that's going to solve your pneumonia problem, it's a whole package that needs to be uh, pulled together. And what would be the main pathogens that farmers would need to be aware of? Well, the two, the, 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 I suppose there are three principal types. One is the who's, the lungworm. The second one would be the viruses. And in particular, in weanlings, you know, in these, I'm, I'm looking at sort of, you know, animals that are aged somewhere between six and 12 months of age, particularly RSV. That would be the virus that is most commonly associated with pneumonia in that group of animals. Um, but then we also have the PI3 virus and we also have IBR virus as well. So whereas RSV is the most common, the others can also be involved uh, there as well. And then we have a number of different bacteria. Now, many of these bacteria 
are in healthy animals as well and don't cause any problem. But as I say, if you've got damage from, uh, say, either hooves or from RSV, it lets these bacteria in through the door. And in particular, we're talking about uh, Meinheimia hemolytica, the pasteurellas, and unfortunately, in recent times, mycoplasma has become much more significant as well. Now, in fairness, in that class of animal, these weanlings, it's probably not as big a problem as it is in very young calves, you know, newborn calves, probably mycoplasma is even more of an issue, but it can still cause a problem in these weanlings as well. I suppose the big reason will be going back to vaccinating weanlings to avoid as many issues and the amount of antibiotics that can be used. Why would farmers vaccinate weanlings? Good question. Um, the benefits, you know, by vaccinating, what we're trying to do is we're trying to stimulate the animal's immune system. as a natural system that's there. But if we stimulate that immune system, it'll then produce um, antibodies and other parts of the immune system to recognize RSV virus or IBR or whichever virus it is. And it will then know that the next time it meets it, it'll be much more efficient at neutralizing that virus. And if we can basically neutralize those viruses, we then stop the bacteria getting on the bandwagon and we stop that damage being done. So that's one thing. So we're trying to prevent disease, but in reality, no vaccine is 100% effective. Um, but what we do know is the fact that in animals that have been vaccinated, they respond much better to antibiotic treatment and they have a much better chance of recovering. And in a way, you know, the general public now, we're all much more afraid with you know, viruses and, and, and vaccination and all these terms that I'm using because of what's happened with the pandemic in the last 18 months. And unfortunately, at the moment, we are seeing a rise in cases of, um, of, 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 of coronavirus. But because so many of the adult population have now been vaccinated, the good news is that we're not seeing as many sick people. You know, the hospitals, yes, there's a problem there. I'm not trying to belittle that at all, but it's not as bad as it was, you know, uh, six, eight, nine months ago before we started the vaccination program. So the vaccination program that's taken place in the human population demonstrates that once you've got a large population of people that have been vaccinated, the virus can still spread, but it won't be as devastating. So for a weanling and, and you know, for a, a, um, a suckler farmer or a beef farmer, if you have all your weanlings vaccinated, then yes, the other one's going to get sick, but it's not going to be nearly as serious and it's going to be much easier to treat it. And you're going to end up by having more productive animals who are going to spend less time off colour and you're going to use less antibiotics. And the using less antibiotics is good not only for your pocket, i.e. you're not spending as much money on the antibiotic treatments, which are quite expensive, but also more importantly, probably you're reducing the amount of antibiotics that's being used and that reduces the amount of resistance, which means that we've got a better chance that these antibiotics will work effectively both in on your farm and in your animals, but also uh, for society in general, that we have got more antibiotics will work for treating um, sick people too. Charles, you mentioned cost. What is the cost associated with a pneumonia outbreak? There are a number of costs. When you look at the cost of a pneumonia outbreak, you've got to look at, first of all, the initial problem is, you know, you've got a sick animal, so you've got a veterinary cost here in the sense you're calling a vet out. Um, he's examining the animal. He's prescribing um, antibiotics and frequently prescribing non-steroidals as well. These are anti-inflammatories, which reduce the amount of damage and speed up the recovery. So that's initial cost. OK. And, you know, depending on how severe the outbreak is or how many animals are going to be treated, et cetera, et cetera. You're looking at somewhere between, you know, 60 and 200 euros. You know, it just depends, um, you know, um, on the particular case. Um, but then probably the bigger cost is the fact that 
even an animal that has a, a, a simple in inverted commas outbreak of pneumonia gets sick once it's recovered unfortunately its lungs never get back to 100 percent so you find this animal is less efficient and it doesn't grow as well so you find that they they don't grow as fast therefore you have to keep them longer so you're going to end up with extra feed costs because they're going to stay on the farm for an extra you know, three to six weeks, depending on how bad the, the outbreak is. And if, you know, the disease is much more severe and they get really bad and they have to have repeated treatments, that could extend into two or three months longer. So there's an expense there as well. But as a result, you know, you know people, there are various estimates that come up, but I mean, a case, a simple case of you know, moderate pneumonia, I think it's, you know, when you take those two aspects, both the lack of daily live weight gain and also the initial costs, you're probably looking at somewhere in the order of 150 euros. Um, if you look at a more severe case where you may get one animal dies and a lot of animals are having to be treated, you're then looking at somewhere between, you know, 350 to 500 euros. You know, so it, you know, the, the numbers really get um, quite, quite severe. Um, as a cost. So, and, and that's just the financials. There's also the, 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 the stress and the hassle of having to treat these animals, you know, in the sense that no farmer enjoys pulling animals out to, to be treated. It, it gets, in, you know, it hits them in the heart as well as hitting them in the, um, in, in, in the pocket. And we'd rather, you know, have healthy animals. No one really wants to see uh, unhealthy animals. Most definitely. And in contrast, I suppose farmers often argue about the cost of vaccinations how much do they actually cost? Well, vaccines aren't as expensive as uh, they're often made out to be. Uh, and I suppose the way people look at it as, oh, sure, it's something I didn't used to have to spend money on. And, you know, and one of the reasons why we do need to vaccinate more now is because of the fact that we do have larger groups of animals together, which increases the chances of disease. But, you know, if you look at, I mean, I often say a vaccination program, and I've often priced them out, it often works out at about the cost of three or four days of feeding, you know, of, of the same animal. But I mean, giving very, very ballpark figures, you know, to carry out, say, an IBR live vaccination program, along with, say, an RSV PI3 intranasal vaccination, which would be option one in the uh, BPS scheme, you could expect to, to, to buy those vaccines for around those two vaccines for, for 10 euros or in, in around that, possibly slightly less than that. OK, um, if you were to go for option two, which is where you, and we'll probably talk about these in a bit more detail later, but that's where you're using an RSV, PI3, and Meinheimia hemolytica inactivated vaccine, and you have to give two shots of that, as well as the IBR vaccination, you're now looking at it costing somewhere in the order of 16 to 20 euros. So that's the cost of doing one, in vaccinating one animal. So, I mean, I often say that, you know, basically um, to, to vaccinate, if you had, um, um, a, uh, a mild case of pneumonia, the cost of a mild case of pneumonia um, would probably uh, cover the cost of vaccinating about 25 calves and a severe case, it would, it, would, it would vaccinate 50 calves. So, you know, if you look back over what you've had, what's happened to you in the past, the number of cases of pneumonia you've had, you soon realize that actually there's a lot of benefit in, um, in having the, uh, the vaccinations in there. And then that's the cost side of it. Then the other side of it is the fact that Yes, you're going to have to do less work in the long term because you don't have to pull animals out. And then we have this responsible use of antibiotics. And the first stage of responsible use of antibiotics is to reduce the need for antibiotics. And we know that if animals are vaccinated, we need to use less antibiotics as well. So there's a responsibility piece um, or a sustainability piece uh, in here as well. Most definitely. And you've touched on it there really as part of the Beef Environmental Efficiency Programme for Sucklers, the BPS scheme. 
farmers may have selected the option under option two to vaccinate the weanlands, which they would get 30 euro per calf weighed up to a maximum of 100 calves. What are the options available for those particular vaccination programmes? Yes, and I mean, um, you're absolutely, I mean, and in fairness, when you just mentioned the cost bit there, there then you, I, I, I can assure you that that 30 euros will cover the cost of the vaccines, you know, in the sense that there's definitely um, a little bit on top there. You know, you'd easily get a vaccination programme uh, for an individual animal for 30 euros. But to be clear about what the two options are, um, and there's option one, okay, and this is particularly looking at if there's a short time uh, before the risk period, um, or if the cattle can only be handled once, you need to really go with um, option one, because you only have to run them up the chute once to do this option, okay? And that's where you give them a single dose of an RSV stroke PI3 vaccine intranasally up the nose, okay? And then at the same time, as you've got them in the crush there, you also give them a second vaccine, which is for IBR live, and you inject that into the muscle, okay? And so it's just one handling. And that needs to be done two to four weeks before um, either um, they're being weaned or they're being housed or before a sale. So you need to have a vaccination program in place before the animals come under pressure. Because when you give a vaccine, it takes some time for the immunity to develop. Now, in fairness, with the RSV PI3 intranasal, it actually develops for the RSV within five days and, 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 and nine, nine to 10 days um, for uh, the PI3. And the IBR would take about two to three weeks. So, you know, it do, they do develop quickly, but not, you know, so, but you do need to plan it. So hence, in the program, you expected to do that two to four weeks before weaning. So that's one option. Now, the second option is um, where you've got, you can handle the animals on, on two occasions um, and where there's more time. And you have to start this program that much earlier. So six to eight weeks before, um, before weaning or housing or a sale, you bring the animals in and you give them their first subcutaneous injection of an RSV, PI3 and Meinheimia hemolytica inactivated vaccine. And you just give them one shot that first time they come in, as I say, about six to eight weeks before um, weaning or a sale. Then you bring them in back in again uh, a month later, okay? And you give them the second shot of the RSV PI3 Meinheimia hemolytica inactivated vaccine under the skin. And at the same time, you then give them the IBR live into the muscle. So you're giving them one in vaccination the first time, two vaccinations uh, the second time. And the advantage of that is the fact that you've got broader cover in the sense that you're also covering the, um, the, the, the bacteria. Um, but the disadvantage is that it costs more and it's going to and, and there's more work involved in it. And you need to get going earlier in the sense that you need to have that plan in place um, earlier in the season because you know, you've, you've got to really start working on that two months before you're going to either wean them or, or, or they're going to go to the sale. So I suppose really from the option one, which has to be carried out once two to four weeks before weaning, housing or sale, it's really going to be just both vaccines administered on the one day, one intranasal and one intramuscular, whereas option two, while it will give broader coverage, farmers will probably need to be looking at that within the first week or two of August if they're planning on weaning the end of September, early October. Absolutely. I mean, you're really, you've got an option two, you're looking at two months. In a way, that's it. Option one, you've got one month's warning. Option two, you've got two months' warning. So you, you've got to start that much um, uh, much earlier. And so that's probably the way to, um, um, uh, to look at that. Charles, vaccines need careful handling. How can farmers increase the success of the vaccine? 
Very good point, Catherine. Um, it's essential to handle correctly. And actually, this really hot weather really brings us to, to it makes it even more pertinent. If you will go down to the to, to buy a vaccine today during this really good weather we're getting at the moment, okay, um, and you drive back and you stop off and do some shopping on the way home and you've left the vaccines in, in your car, your car is going to get very hot and that's going to damage the vaccines. So I would ask you to do all your other messages first and then pick up the vaccine as the last port of call before you come back to um, uh, go back home. And they will give you a cold, it'll come out of a fridge, so the vet will give it to you from, from the fridge, goes into a cold bag, take it home, and it needs to be stored in a fridge until you need to use it. And the best place to store it in the fridge is in, it's got to be a functioning fridge and it needs to be plugged in. But the best place to store it is actually in the door of the fridge where you might keep the milk or the butter, you know, in the actual door of the fridge. People often store them low down at the back of the fridge, you know, above where the vegetables are. Unfortunately, that sometimes freezes and vaccines can't be frozen. They need to be kept between two and four degrees. So that's why the door is the right place to keep them. So that's the first thing. And they need, as soon as you buy them, they need to go into the fridge. Once they come out of the fridge and they're being used, they should never go back into the fridge, okay? Because even the inactivated vaccines, once the bottle has been broached, they gen, and by broached, I mean the needle's been stuck into it and the first dose has been taken out, then they need to be used within 10 hours. So really, you know, once you should get your line, your weanlings up, get the vaccines ready and use them straight away. But even the inactivated vaccines have only got a shelf life once they're being used of, of, of 10 hours. The live vaccines, and you can tell it's a live vaccine because there'll be two bottles. One will have a liquid in it and one will have a plug of dry powder. And what you need to do is you need to mix that using sterile needles and ask your supplier, your vet, to give you plenty of needles to do the mixing and to do the vaccinations. But you need to take the diluent, the, the liquid, and add it to the, um, the, the, the powder, mix it up. And if it's a large volume, you sometimes have to pull that all then, uh, the, the mixed vaccine, the little bit of mixed vaccine you've got, and mix it with the remainder of the diluent. Now that vaccine is mixed, and it's ready to use and check the brand of vaccine but generally you have to use that within two to four hours once it's mixed so it needs to be used straight away and that's the case that if you're using the IV in, in this program it's always going to be a live vaccine for the IBR um, and if you've gone down the RSV PI3 intranasal route you're then going to have to uh, use live vaccine there as well and once you've got it mixed use it straight away. And then I suppose the thing is that use sterile needles or a sterile um, injector gun. You know, for the, the, um, the IBR Live, you could use an injector gun. You should use a sterile needle on the end of the, of, of the gun and change that gun, the, the, the needle, every sort of um, 10 to 15 um, animals. If the needle gets dropped on the ground or if it rubs against the, um, the bars of the crush, change the needle, have plenty of needles, don't try to reuse um, needles. Because if you introduce infection, you're gonna get lumps, but also the vaccine may not work effectively. If you're using an intranasal vaccine, there's an applicator that needs to go on the end of the uh, vaccinated gun and it creates a mist. Now that mist goes about 18 inches away from the end of the applicator. So the applicator only actually has to be introduced about an inch into the animal's nostril, one nostril, and then squirted in. Um, if I was working, whenever I'm working with cattle, I'd always work from the back of the crush. So fill the crush and work from the back. And when you're using the intranasal vaccine, you will actually find that, you know, more than three quarters of the animals will have their heads up. 
So do those animals in the crush just catch hold of the um, um, the, 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 the head and squirt the vaccine into, into the nose that way. You will have the odd awkward one where you may have to catch them in the bales at the front of the um, the crush as well. Um, but um, it's it's you know it's not too difficult um, a job to do. And it's as I say, the advantage is you just have to to, to, to handle them once. Working from the back of the crush is a great suggestion, Charles, as vaccination can be labour intensive. Finally, Charles, what's the key advice for farmers in the common weeks in relation to implementing a vaccination programme for their farm? Well, I think you know, you need, let's get a plan in place now, okay? So you don't want to be suddenly trying to order the vaccine up the day before you need it. Um, if you know when your weanling sale is coming up, you know, what weanling sales you're aiming for, um, then you really need to work back from that date. And you sort of alluded to that, that, you know, if you're, you know, if you're thinking about, um, um, a, a sale in September, you really need to get organized now because you know, September is only six weeks away. Uh, it's less than six weeks away. So you really need to be getting on with it. So in fact, if you're going for early September, you probably can't go for option two. You're going to have to go for option um, um, option one on the, on, on, on the scheme. Um, the other thing to combine with the vaccination program is you can include a, um, a worm dose. You know, so we can do something for, for who's as well at the same time. They can be done at the same time. And you know, this great spell of weather we're having at the moment is, you know, we're all enjoying that. But and what's happening at the moment is actually worms probably are not being transmitted because they, although they're grazing grass, it's so dry, certainly lungworm will be struggling in these conditions. But I can assure you the rain will come because it always does. And once the rain comes in two or three weeks time, whenever it does, we're going to get a flush of grass and we're going to get a flush of worms onto the pasture. And you'll find that probably a week to 10 days after the rain comes, we're going to have a lot of challenge from who's. And because we've had this prolonged dry period, I would predict that when the rain comes in August, which it will do, um, we're going to get a lot of coughing calves. So I'd really be encouraging people to listen. If you start hearing coughing, you know, after we've a week or so after rain, then you can almost guarantee that that's who's um, that's causing that cough. Some really important points there, Charles, particularly to reduce the incidence of pneumonia. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thank you very much. That's all for this week's episode. Make sure to join me next week for the second part of the interview with Aidan Murray when I cover preparing for weaning. In the meantime, thanks for listening and thanks to Charles for joining me on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss a show. For all other updates from our beef programme, keep an eye on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Until next time, I'm Catherine Egan and thanks for listening.